Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to this episode of Tech Cars Machines. My name is Ali Tabibian. Lots of the good stuff as usual are in the episode notes. This is our second episode with an executive at a key supplier to the global automotive industry. The previous episode was with Magna International. Suffice it to say that ZF is one of the top five tier one suppliers to automotive companies with revenues over $40 billion each and every year and activities that extend into heavy equipment like tractors. Our guest is Mamtha Chamarthi, Chief Digital Officer of ZF. And since her background was really interesting, I decided to go into it a little bit as part of the beginning of the episode rather than cover it uh, as I usually do as part of my introduction here. There's an extra treat in this episode, and that is that there's an opening interview with Saeed Amidi, the founder of Plug and Play Technology Center, where Mamtha suggested we meet to record our episode. Plug and Play is a technology incubator with hundreds of startups in it and also with a very big differentiator, a vast network of large corporate partners who sometimes, like ZF, even house their own technology scouting teams at the plug-and-play facilities. What's uh, interesting over the years is I've noticed that while plug-and-play has grown internationally, the original Silicon Valley office where we recorded this episode has become a tourist destination. Literally, buses of technologists from overseas stop by for a tour and take selfies with the company signage. So, dear listeners, let's get this double treat started. Tech, cars, machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com. Good morning, everyone. We're here with Saeed Amidi today. And Saeed is the founder behind Plug and Play Technology Center. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure doing this podcast with you and uh, to give you a little bit of history about plug and play we set uh, our goals to provide the best facility and everything that a startup needs which includes uh, investments from us as well as our vc partners and as we sort of developed plug and play we realized more important than money and investment is clients. And most startups, especially B2B businesses selling software or solution, they really would love to meet the corporate world. And uh, in the last five years, we have been able to create, for example, the biggest uh, mobility platform in the world with major OEMs like Mercedes, Porsche, Toyota, Nissan. And when you want to innovate in the automotive industry or mobility industry, you also need first and second tier supplier like ZF, Bosch. So what nowadays we do when we built this mobility innovation platform, we have more than 50 corporations involved in this platform. We operate this platform in Stuttgart, Silicon Valley, Beijing, 
and soon Detroit. And so if a startup has a technology for autonomous vehicle, connected vehicle, or electric vehicle, they could join this platform and be introduced to the right people. And uh, this innovation platform, uh, some people used to call it accelerator, but the word accelerators mean startups that are less than, I would say, two to three years old. They might have less than 20 to 30 people. But when you call it innovation platform, a hundred people start up. A startup that has even raised hundred million dollar. It is still a startup to the likes of Mercedes and ZF. So we work with early stage startups, middle stage startup, and late stage startup. And of course, we are very proud of our mobility innovation platform, but we also have an insurance, insure tech innovation platform. Quite frankly, we have more than 10 verticals that we create this meeting place. That, that's a really interesting both history of accelerators in general that you, that you brought up, where basically they became focused on providing services to the corporations, but if uh, your but if our listeners knew you as long as I have for a few years, you'd know that a very extroverted, a personable person like yourself will eventually not think about kind of general and administrative stuff, but will think about relationships. And that's really what's unique about about plug and play. Uh, what are some of the maybe the success stories or for the newer rationales that? Uh, that your partners have for, for coming to, pl uh, to plug and play? If I can stick to sort of mobility innovation platform, for example, in Stuttgart, mm -hmm. Mercedes is a great company, same as ZF and other organization. They have incredible R&D team. They are continuously building new technology and some people say fantastic automotive Mercedes cars. In general, the world, especially the digital world, is moving so fast. So Ola, the incoming CEO of Mercedes, said it very nicely on stage one day, is you have to have internal R&D and great engineers, but you could also reach outside and work with entrepreneurs, work with great technology outside of your four walls, and then you could bring it in and blend it together to build a better product for your better product and services for your clients. And that is what we hope to do and we focus to do in plug and play. Blending large corporations, R&D department with 
technology from entrepreneurs. When I've talked to people like a Mercedes or a Bosch or a, or, or a, a, a ZF, that is that in this environment, they meet people who manage to design business models that extract value out of sometimes very large markets, sometimes niches that they never would have been able to imagine uh, on their own. So, and by the way, when you mention Mercedes, and, and I, I think Stuttgart is the facility, that, if I recall correctly, was a 20 million euro uh, venture. Specifically, University of Stuttgart and EU, they built a beautiful right. facility for robotics and for innovation, and it has a big operating budget. Our portion of the project in Stuttgart is the startups mostly in the software business that complement what Arena 2036 has built. And in general, you mentioned the new business models, but I also believe culture at these large companies needs to be more entrepreneurial and more agile. You know, any big, large, multi-billion dollar company have incredible structures and organization. But sometimes to move technology fast inside these companies, you need to have a culture of entrepreneurship, small teams, and fast decisions. And that's another thing that we have been able to learn and to show our corporate partners that are right now more than 250 of the largest and most successful corporate partners in the world. Technology, culture, and business model. That's uh, right. Those are the three big things. Anything uh, that's on the horizon that you'd like to point out? No, we are very uh, proud that so many entrepreneurs choose us to be part of their journey. Uh, and some of these journeys end up with a great success. More, as everybody knows, are challenging, but still even during the hardship and challenges, I think it's great to deal with these entrepreneurs. And now more and more, the corporate world is choosing us to be part of their digital transformation or their innovation journey. So we are actually quite proud to be where we are and humbled by the experience. Great site. Thank you very much. We Thank appreciate you. it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Tech, cars, machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com. Mamtha, thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners, we're here at Plug and Play Technology Center in Sunnyvale in California. Mamtha has been very kind. She's uh, taken some time for us while she's out here from her residence in Michigan. And uh, we're very, very pleased that she could take the time. Thank you so much. And it's really a great uh, privilege to know you and your background too, Ali. And it's kind of quite an honor to be doing this podcast for you. Thank you so much. We really, we really appreciate it. Just so our listeners understand, we had a little bit of a chat before we started recording. And Mamta really has a really amazing background. 
So I have a very uh, unique background. Um, I grew up in southern India in a city called Hyderabad. I've done my undergraduate in psychology, sociology and English and went on to pursue my masters in English with a scholarship from the government of India and then um, started teaching English all the way up to undergraduate students in a city called Bangalore and that's when uh, though it was a great generous profession i felt the teaching was getting to be a bit mundane in india back at the time we were still a closed economy so i went to a business school to pursue my mba and by then my husband had come to california to san jose state university to pursue his masters his second masters in electrical and communications engineering his dream job was to work for ford motor company and a few months into his master's degree he gets an offer from ford and uh, by the time i land here in california only to turn around to go to michigan um little did i know when i was moving from california to michigan that was truly my calling into the automotive industry so i was about to start my masters in computer science in san jose state and then um i started pursuing this at the uh, wayne state university in downtown detroit and then later on finished at oakland university i almost like 6 7 months into my masters degree at wayne state one of my uh, friends had asked if because the it back then was going through such a boom it was about the boom was about to start and he said why don't you go and see if you can get any job and my first offer was from hp in mountain view <laughs> and uh, me and my husband stayed apart from each other for 2 years while i was doing my masters degree in india uh, going to business school so we said again we won't do that again <laughs> so i didn't come back to california and uh, my second offer was from chrysler corporation in uh, 1996 i took that role as Lotus Notes programmer if you really know what that means <laughs> so it's uh, that was the beginning of my uh, i would say love affair with the automotive industry <laughs> initially i joined chrysler corporation as a contractor while still pursuing my masters in computer science and 2 years later i became an employee as soon as i became an employee i was um, asked to sign the nda to be a project manager for day one of the integration of Daimler and Chrysler. I think one of the first projects if I remember uh I remember still very clearly is uh they were they asked me to write a Lotus Notes application to create a workflow for their tax incentives because Chrysler would uh, do a lot of projects with the government where they got tax incentives. And I said Well it's great you're asking me to write this program can i just go and job shadow what exactly this department does because coming from india i didn't know what exactly government affairs does so i job shadowed them for a couple of months and in 1996 i created a paperless office for government affairs using all collaboration technologies on windows 3.0 So that got the attention of the Vice President of Government Affairs and also the CIO of Chrysler Corporation. 
And she said, I really need someone that has this kind of unique thinking to be the project manager for the integration of Daimler and Chrysler. So I became the project manager. From then on, there was never looking back in my career. Chrysler became Daimler Chrysler. And then I also, later on, after doing a number of IT stints in Chrysler and Daimler Chrysler, including post-merger integration, I went to Daimler Chrysler Financial Services. So Daimler had three big arms. One was the passenger cars, the second was trucks, and the third was financial services. We did captive financial services. So we provided loans and leases to Mercedes cars or Chrysler cars and trucks. And so I went to financial services in January of 2007 to turn around a project And a couple of months later, the CIO of Daimler Chrysler Financial Services, including the CEO, had asked if I could be the program manager for the day one of the separation of Daimler and Chrysler. So it was a a round trip acquisition. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, there was a part of me that really wanted to go and join. an investment bank or uh, a consulting company like an Ernst & Young in the M&A division because I've done both the merger as well as the separation and I thought I had, I brought to the table <laughs> both sides of the, uh, you know, understanding of both sides of um, how a company needs to be brought together and uh, separated. So I think uh, after that, I went on to become the, I was supposed to go to Germany as an expat and I took the role of the CIO at Consumers Energy. I did that for four years, and then uh, when TRW, an automotive supplier, asked me to come and join them as a global CIO, I was back in the automotive industry within a snap that I didn't have to think for too long that uh, to come back to the automotive industry. When I was in, uh, still in Daimler Chrysler in uh, post-merger integration team, I got a, an opportunity to support Mercedes-Benz Southeast Asia. So I would have never imagined growing up in India that I would be even coming to the U.S., you know, sitting That's in right. Bangalore to come to be in the headquarters of Chrysler Corporation on day one, to be in that building in Auburn Hills was just a dream dream and out-of-the-world experience. And to now travel for that company to globally, including to India, to implement the retail template to sell Mercedes cars in a consistent way all over the world was definitely a very, very unique experience. And something that I think in the automotive industry, you would find many people going through similar kind of patterns in their career. Big uh, global supply chain workforce. That's a lot of great experience. Yeah. Uh, Mamtha, how would you describe your position today at uh, ZF? Essentially, you, in a sense, are still at TRW, if you will, or not still at TRW, but ZF absorbed TRW, what, about four years ago? In 2014. In 2014, that's right. How would you now, CIO is a term that I think a lot of people have a sense what that means. Describe for us your title today and what that role means within the global ZF empire. So today I am the chief digital officer of ZF, Friedrichshafen. 
It is very interesting. Two, three months after I joined TAW, it, uh, the acquisition talks were underway with ZF. So I joined Chrysler. It got acquired by Daimler. I come to TRW. Now it's getting acquired by another German company, ZF. There was uh, an uh, incumbent CIO that I was working with on the ZF side. And together we worked very closely on the integration of ZF and TRW. There were four different businesses that had overlap with ZF's business. So we had to divest them off. So my role as a CIO was to deliver to the business plan of TRW so that we continue to make the money and deliver great products for which we were bought by ZF to divest off these businesses and integrate with, with ZF. And uh, I did that till almost August of 2016, from 2014 until 2016. And in 2016, I was asked by the CEO, Dr. Stefan Zomer, to take on the role of chief digital officer. So when he and I talked about it, he said, let's start on a clean canvas, on a blank canvas. I really don't know how to define this role, but this is this role is, I want this role to transform every aspect of our business. Because the disruption that's coming at the automotive industry in terms of autonomous, connected, electric, and shared mobility is so disruptive that we can't just have the chief digital officer role just focus on products, but we have to change every aspect of how we do business. That is where we started. So initially, it was all about defining what exactly would the role of the chief digital officer be. And we said we would focus on products and services product to see how we can include digital capabilities in our existing products and take these digital capabilities and create services out of it. And um, business processes, most of our business processes in the automotive industry are, I would jokingly say, are still from the industrial era or from the industrial revolution. So it is how do we rethink all of these business processes in the context of how our products are changing with more software capabilities and more selling software as a service, not just a mechanical component. And the third aspect of it is, how do we change our manufacturing and supply chain also to deliver to this new model around our products and services? And that means we have to change our culture and our workplace. And that's how we defined the role of the chief digital officer at ZF, that it would cover all aspects of the business and have a clear customer centricity. Because we knew even the customer was changing for us. So we would go typically after the traditional OEMs. And we saw more and more the emergence of new mobility customers. Uber, Lyft, people always talk about those companies. But we also started seeing emergence of new players in the electric car area from China and saw that China was emerging as a leader in electrification of the car. 
So we had to think through our entire business strategy around how do we continue to grow in the existing markets with existing customers and how do we expand in new markets with new customers. And even in existing markets, we had to look at Silicon Valley closely because because we saw an emergence of uh, new mobility customers like Zooks who we have started working with uh, recently. So we are a volume player as a tier one supplier. And to work with someone like a Zooks or a new mobility customer, it's not volume play. It's an innovation play. You get into that partnership very early on to try the innovation together and to share the risk So that was a completely different kind of a thinking that we had to get adapted to. And that's what I mean by we had to change even our culture and our workplace and our entire thinking around how do we address this disruptive forces that are coming at the automotive industry. Very fascinating. Thank you for that uh, description. I know the, um, for example, one of our, a couple of our podcast episodes were with uh, GE Digital. And one of the things that we talked about in those episodes were how your organization, how does it wind up working with and sort of sharing roles and responsibilities with the portions, let's say, of those mechanical component units that have some software uh, technology in them? How does that interaction work? What's been maybe an interesting set of lessons learned to make that work? Today we have roughly nine divisions within ZF each division focusing on different product technology. So when we created the digital role, we, from an organization perspective, we said it would go as an L-shaped organization. It will be an L-shaped. So think about the divisions as horizontal, or sorry, vertical silos, and the digital organization would go as a horizontal across these vertical silos. So there we focus on What are our existing products and what can we do with digital that will hit our bottom line, cost savings, or that would help us get incremental revenue with our existing products? So this is more to ignite the change in thinking and change in products that needs to happen. And we created an agile framework to take ideas to minimum viable products to scaling if we see the benefits. And so that's what we did as a horizontal organization. As a vertical organization, we started incubating some new business ideas, like the car e-wallet, where we took a blockchain-enabled financial transaction engine and embedded that into one of our electronic control units. So that Think about a scenario where you are in a level four, level five autonomous car and you have gone out for dinner with friends or with your wife and do you still want to go along with the car to pay for the parking? Wouldn't it be nice if the car would go park itself and pay for the parking? And as you're going through tolls, because... You're not, no longer sitting in a forward-facing position in an autonomous car. You're sitting, it's a, it's a living room on wheels or it's a conference room on wheels, whatever, con- totally configurable to your taste. 
And as you go through the toll gates, as you go through any kind of financial transactions that you would have to do, the car would do for yourself, for, for you. Fuel, charging, all for of those. For fuel, right. for charging. So, you know, when you walk into the restaurant, if it's running low, it can go drive itself to the charging station, charge, and then come back and be available to you. So this is the vertical part of the digital organization where we started incubating new ideas. So in our world, we call it the, a balanced approach across the three horizons in terms of our thinking, safeguarding our core business with digital enriching our core business, which is adding digital features to our existing products and expanding our core business. And we call it disruptive adjacency. Think about the entire value chain of mobility, future of mobility, and how it is evolving. And what are the new business models that we can try to go from just being a tier one supplier to getting more and more into tier 0.5 or into becoming a services provider. That's actually an interesting point you, when you, that you just brought up. In a sense, you, you are still a supplier to the OEM, but you're bundling in a, in a service that you would manage post-delivery, as exactly. an example. Exactly. That's pretty interesting. That's the, probably one of the first instances that I know of where a tier one would actually have a, have a consumer uh, interaction, uh, I think. That's right. I don't know too many other... Examples yeah, that would, yeah, no. Wow, that's you're, a big you're change. It's a, it's a huge it's change. It's a huge change. It's right. a huge change. That's right. And uh, so we are working with the OEMs to see if we can we can either take our Kari wallet concept or uh, product and embed that into an OEM product, or and we created a platform where the OEMs can participate as consumers. And uh, fuel companies, charging stations, parking, they can join the platform as suppliers of services. Excellent. You know, Mantha, you brought up the L-shaped organization and the horizontal part that digital spans everyone, basically provoking the horizontal uh, sections in, in a good way into understanding and sensing and tasting what right. might, be, might, might be out there. Um, from from some of the adjacencies that you talked about, for some of the external drivers, we've talked about automobiles now mm-hmm. so far in the in the episode. But really, ZF is more diverse than just autos, which I think some of our our listeners may not know. Commercial vehicles, tractors, even wind turbines come to mind. What is common to the digitization of these various divisions of these various products? I should Wherever say. Wherever there is a need for a gearbox or a transmission you find uh, ZF providing that capability, whether it is in, a, in large windmills where GE investors, these are our customers, or in um, John Deere in agricultural space. So, and we do commercial vehicles as well as passenger cars. So I think if you look at this, ZF brings in a very unique capability from a product perspective, and also are offering in various spaces. So if you think about mobility as a service and look at the ZF's products, I think we are in a really sweet spot with the breadth of product portfolio that we have and the breadth of our presence in passenger cars and commercial vehicles and in um, industrial application. That's what is, what is common? You asked what exactly is common. Let's think about autonomous vehicles. 
autonomous, we believe, we take a very strong position that autonomous vehicles, the first version of them would be in geofenced areas. And the geofenced areas, if you think about geofenced areas, mining is a geofenced area. Agriculture is a geofenced area. Our uh, listeners will be familiar with a term we've used called uh, closed field applications. And I think geofenced is essentially what uh, your, your phrase exactly. for it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, so recently we have invested as ZF in a startup from University of Aachen with the Professor Shu called Ego Mover. And it's an autonomous people and cargo mover. And this level four, level five functionality, we would like to take it and then create, take it and apply it across various of our passenger cars, across commercial vehicles, and also industrial applications. Absolutely. It is interesting, and I won't dwell on it too much, but despite the popular press, really the applications of those high-level autonomies are in essentially commercial uh, environments. First of all, the environment is more controlled. It, it, that commercial vehicle is frequently in a more controlled environment, but also it can tolerate the, the cost and the form factor for all the equipment that's needed yeah. for that level four and five, which is, I think a lot of people forget. They don't realize those, those fancy pucks on these vehicles that run around in the Bay Area. I, don't, I think most people are surprised when they realize, boy, a, a cheap version is 5,000. <laughs> yeah, you can get into advanced driver assist functionality all the way up to level three, where still there is a human driver being assisted by advanced functionality in the car. But once you get into level four, where you're trying to remove the human driver, then those applications will be in a defined, in a geofenced space. And because um, no matter how much we test, this is more of a personal perspective, we cannot really mix a human-driven vehicle with an autonomous vehicle. Because each one of us have a completely different kind of driving behavior. And it would take an enormous amount of learning for the artificial intelligence brain that sits in the car to learn every one of our driving behaviors. And then to come up with how should I react to the reflex of Ali versus Mamta. It's completely different has to be geofenced so you know exactly the path of the vehicle, the path the vehicle is going to take, and also some level of predictability of the mix of traffic and pedestrians. So more predictability. Excellent. Thank you. Mamtha, see, think, act. Tell us about that. So when you look at our products, we categorize our products into three major buckets. Every decision that we as humans make, we see, we think, and we act. And even for autonomous vehicles, it is they need to see, to see what's going on around them, what's going on on their path from A to B, whether it is level one all the way to level five. And then there has to be some kind of Today, we have like a braking ECU doing the thinking function for the braking. And a steering ECU taking care of the thinking for the steering. But think about a central brain that is doing all of the thinking. And all these sensors are fusing the data that they are receiving 
And this is being computed by a central brain. That's the think. And then the 100 years of experience that we have with our various mechanical products which have actuators in them that act. So that is C, which is we provide cameras, we provide various electronics and sensors. And then the think is our partnership with NVIDIA, where we, are, we have created a product called ZF Pro AI. And the act is more than the 100 years of experience that we have in building mechanical actuators. So that's what the act uh, That's That's what the, that's act, what part the act part is. Refers to. And when you say C, uh, when I was at CES in uh, January, one of the things that was impressive to me was the breadth of both the camera and especially the radar uh, offerings that yes. CES had. And that may be a recent acquisition, if I recall uh, correctly. But talk to us about a little bit of the breadth on that, on that sensing side and how you're integrating it, both at the sensor layer as well as, of course, at the, at the think layer. So I think the approach that we have taken at the ZF, which has now become a pretty common trend in the automotive industry, is when we looked at the white spaces that we had in our technology portfolio when it came to sensing, whether it was a mid-range radar or a long range, we had some in-house radar capabilities in our advanced driver assist uh, business unit. But then we also partnered and we did a, an investment in a radar company called Astix to complement our own capabilities. And then in addition to that, we also partnered with Hella so that we close all of the white spaces in terms of the radar technologies. And the same thing that we did with LIDAR, we invested in a company called Ibio for LIDAR. And interesting um, in the sense space, so we call this an ecosystem approach to see where we have strengths and look at where others have strengths and create uh, different kinds of structures around this. It is all the way from investment to a strategic partnership. For example, the internal cockpit of the future for level four, level five autonomy, we are working with Forasia. We think that they are a market leader when it comes to the internal cockpits. And we can bring our active safety and passive safety, and we want to be a leader in the domain of integrated safety. And there's no other supplier that comes to my mind that has active and passive safety components like the way we do and the partnerships that we do with both Hella and Forasia to provide that integrated safety as a system for both advanced driver assist as well as level four, level five autonomy. Okay, great. Thank you for that uh, description. One thing uh, I noticed... um, in the ZF material, is a recent initiative uh, you had on platooning. Is that something, uh, truck platooning, is that something interesting to talk about? Um, Absolutely, absolutely. So what we had done is uh, we wanted to take all of the level four, level five technologies that we have been working with. And at CES, we showed that how that works in a passenger car. And recently at IAA, which focused focused on commercial vehicles, we showed an innovation truck concept, and where an innovation a truck 
with level 4, level 5 can deliver packages. You could have that as a courier, and then when the courier goes to drop off a package, the truck follows as though it's on a virtual leash so that you don't have to always walk back to where the truck was parked, but instead the truck kind of comes along with you as you're delivering the the packages. And uh, we have then also combined it with uh, some of the car e-wallet technologies to unlock the truck uh, trunks in passenger cars and brought together our commercial vehicle and passenger car technologies where packages can be delivered to locked trunks of cars. I see. I see. That's that's pretty uh, pretty interesting. It's kind of what Amazon can do to your home, but you could do it to your to your car. Exactly. Go around the uh, parking lot outside this office, fill everybody's, you know, put your groceries in or whatever it is, and, uh, and exactly. off you go. So because we think that the last mile delivery solutions are really important. And uh, we also demonstrated with our innovation truck and with the innovation depot where an autonomous truck can work in a yard and it can just um, drop off the cargo, pick up the cargo and then come out of the yard. Because as many fatalities happen on the roads, There are also many fatalities and serious injuries that happen in these yards where cargo is dropped. That's right. That's interesting you say that because I'd seen a statistic somewhere in the United States, something like 10 or 12 percent of the fatalities are not on, quote, a public road. And when I hear you say this, it probably means that for a in a commercial non-public road environment, those accident rates are much, obviously, much more germane than somebody dying in their own driveway or exactly. something like so. So if you just zoom in on commercial, then it's probably a really big problem: people dying on the uh, or getting hurt. Yeah, exactly. Um, on the yeah. outside of the public road, but but within where the uh, where the vehicle is uh, is traveling. So that's how we are extending our thinking beyond just our product to providing the capability of an autonomous depot where not just the vehicles are autonomous, but dropping off the cargo, picking up the cargo. Is everything that ZF provide, uh, for the most part, inside the sheet metal of a vehicle or a turbine for a wind, uh, or, or inside the wind turbine? Or, for example, do you have infrastructure that you would deploy alongside a road or inside that work yard to then make it a lot easier for the, device, for the, for the vehicles to, to be smart? Yes. In the autonomous depot, actually, we have, through our Openmatic subsidiary, we have come up with these low-energy Bluetooth devices. We call them detective, like detective, <laughs> but detag, no, detective. And these tags, we put them on the depot so that we can mark the path for the autonomous vehicles. And these are so low-energy uh, low that you can go for tens of years without replacing them. So beaconing, yeah. um, beaconing environment. We want to provide a full-stack solution to autonomous depots, including tracking their cargo, where it is at any, at any point in time, including the condition of the content in the, in the containers. Let's talk a couple minutes about ACES, autonomy, connectivity, electrification, and sharing. Which one do you think will change 
mobility the most? Which one do you think will change the tier ones the most? When when I joined the automotive industry, technology was just like a, such an afterthought. And now it's become so front and center with connectivity becoming the key enabler. I feel like connectivity is the foundational enabler for autonomy and also for shared mobility. So electrification can work with connectivity, without connectivity, but uh, I think for autonomy and shared mobility, connectivity is the foundational enabler. Because for autonomy, either you need connectivity to the cloud or connectivity, some kind of connectivity to the infrastructure, some kind of V2X connectivity. That's right. So I think 5G which provides that kind of persistent connectivity in terms of just the pure connectivity is going to be a a huge enabler for autonomy and for different kinds of uh, shared mobility. From a shared mobility, it's not just ride-hailing. I feel that it's moving more and more into customized mobility. Why do I have to stick with just one car for all of my needs can I get whatever car I need? I think uh, issues, it, yeah. you can't have one-size-fits-all kind of solutions when it comes to autonomy. Because the roundabouts in Paris or in London are completely different from the streets in San Francisco or New York. Very much so. so and, and these are countries where people typically follow the rules. You know, you go to a, <laughs> some places where the rules are unwritten or unfollowed, I should say. Uh, makes very difference. I think uh, those countries that you're talking about, especially with China and India, I think uh, there we would, uh, because of their massive um, issues with the global challenge around pollution, I think they would take more leadership role in electrification of the powertrain Absolutely. than the other countries like, uh, you know, even U.S. or Germany. I feel like even today, the number of electric vehicles per capita in China is a lot more than in the U.S. or in Germany. You know, it's interesting, uh, Mamta, because one of our recent episodes uh, was uh, tongue-in-cheek called uh, Everybody Hates Tesla. As part of the introduction, we said, this is about developed country electrification because India and China are basically responding to a public health emergency. It's a, it's a much shorter term exigency than what we're trying to do here with electrification uh, to some extent. I think um, to some degree, there is kind of a nice interrelationship between autonomy and electric. Because if you look at the, the car today, we have not changed it much in terms of the structure from a horse cart. Horses are in the front, the carriage is in the middle, and the, tr- the luggage space is in the back. It's the same concept that we are following today with the car, right? The IC engine in the front, the driver and the passengers in the middle, and the trunk space in the back. Pretty similar horse carriage, but now on faster wheels. <laughs> but um, when you start thinking about electrification, now it kind of creates a configurable cockpit capability. And for the autonomous car, that is an important aspect. And that's why we at ZF, we introduced this rolling chassis so that you can configure it in uh, different, in various ways. M-Star, I think it's called, yeah. is that right? Yeah, It's so, very innovative. Very innovative. My perspective on electric car it being targeted again 
at the luxury customer segment, um, most of the innovations in automotive, when they first come out, are fundamentally targeted at the luxury segment, right? In 2008, 7 and 8, when I drove my um, Mercedes uh, GL, it had an adaptive cruise control with all of the safeties, the active safety system in it. That was more of a premium car uh, safety technology. But now it's becoming more and more standard. So I think uh, it's the same thing that would happen with electrification. But then we have to see if electrification and autonomous and shared mobility coming together will have an impact on the volume of sedans sold. That's where you see players like Ford and other OEMs taking a very strong position that they would exit the sedan market. So that, that's why I think it's kind of when these trends would be converging and completely coming together and what would be the impact on the volume of you know, SUVs versus large people movers versus sedans. Describe that to me. I missed why the impact would be on sedans. The first thing is sedans in terms of the profit margin, it's pretty low. When you think about ride-sharing, and in geofenced areas, you talk about level four, level five autonomy. You're talking about people movers and cargo movers. So the bias is more towards large shared vehicles. If I can get a large shared electric vehicle, I would rather prefer that versus a small uh, a sedan. And again, I would say that we have to keep observing how and when this convergence will come and what would be the impact on the volumes of large cars versus small and mid-sized cars. Maybe we would go more towards smaller cars within a geofenced area, not actually a sedan with four seats or five seats in it. Maybe it's going to be a smaller car with one or two seats in it or a large car with, you know, people mover or a cargo mover. We think about the functionality that uh, changes, but the whole concept of what the vehicle is is going to do and for who it really is really changes. And also it is not just about a car as the primary mode of mobility from point A to point B. It is going to be, right, today even we we have mixed mobility to a great extent with flying and then driving. But I think we will see a lot more combination, a lot more choices in terms of our mobility. Because for 100 years, we had the horse carriage that was disrupted by the car. For more than 100 years, we have had a car as the primary means of mobility, And I think now is the time to start looking into drones and other means of mobility. I think it's more about this convergence of the ACEs than just one disruptive force. Each one is a disruptive force. And the convergence of these four disruptive forces is going to be tremendous. It's going to be a huge impact on... We can't call it the automotive industry anymore. 
on our mobility. Where have you found is best for you to keep the ideas coming? Internal, external, geographies, size of organization? All of the above. All of the above? It, 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 it really could come from anywhere, is your it, experience? It, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, I'll just give you one example. Recently, I was in a Gartner Research Board uh, meeting, and I had um, I was along with a CIO from medical instruments industry. And uh, they make mostly medical equipment and instrumentation for ambulances. And they wanted to see if we can provide them data from the crash site on how, at what pressure the airbag was released and what was the impact, any data that that we could provide on the impact of the airbag on the person and the contact points. And if we can send them this data ahead of time, so that the ambulance could come prepared to reduce the time to diagnose what the fractures or whatever is the injury of the crash victim. If they can come prepared, they can literally hit the ground running. Wow. So you wouldn't believe that you would be sitting next to someone from medical instrumentation industry and they would want to get this kind of data. And now we are in a very early stage working with them because we do a lot of tests with crash dummies. So we are trying to provide them the data because those dummies also mimic completely a human being with all the nervous system, with the muscles, with the bones and everything. So we are giving them that data so that we can do a minimum viable product before we go any further on it. So I think that's just an example of where Today, this whole sharing of data, people take it very lightly and people keep talking about who owns the data. But if I were to tell the passengers of a vehicle, if you were to share the data from your car with this instrumentation company, when you have a crash, that they will be better prepared to come and help you. I think many of those people driving cars would be more than happy to share their data because their seconds matter to save lives. So that's what kind of really, at the end of the day, these disruptive forces and what they do for our society is what gets me all geeked up and all excited. It's all about, you know, saving lives and saving the environment, creating a sustainable future and creating more mobility choices and making the world truly flat that we can connect from anywhere to anywhere within within hours or minutes that's fantastic that opens up a whole new world of opportunities that gets me all excited not just for us but for many other generations for my children and for their children there's so much that uh, technology that offers now that i get so excited just talking about it. It is nice to be able to point to something in front of your kids and say, I did that. You exactly. Know, uh, exactly. Pretty, 
So, uh, Mamta, you've uh, you've certainly uh, geeked me up about all this stuff with all the great uh, with the great <laughs> information you've given us. That's why I, I hate to uh, end it, but I do know you have a flight yes. that's uh, standing on the other side of this um, on this uh, podcast. Did we cover everything that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything that we missed? So, at ZF, um, you know, in one of the things that we are changing about our culture and our workplace is we believe that the 146,000 employees that we have have enormous potential to contribute to the company. And if you only remove the bureaucracy, they have great ideas. And in March of 2017, there were two employees, one from our e-mobility, which is powertrain electrification division, was sitting along with another employee from corporate strategy. And they were looking at, uh, we brought together 50 startups from across 15 countries so they were watching uh, a startup from Eastern Europe called uh, Noiseless Acoustics. And they had this idea that we have C Think Act. And in the C product portfolio, what we are missing is sound, capturing sound. They started looking at data on how many fatalities are caused by uh, not able to detect sound with children playing behind a large tractor or with children, you know, playing behind an SUV. And they convinced us that this is an idea worth investing. So we started an innovation challenge for our employees called Internal Pitches. And we created a venture capitalists out of our board of management and our heads of divisions. They invested in this idea from these employees called Sound AI to capture sounds as another sensory input uh, for our cars. And uh, today, I'm very happy to say we have tried it as a minimum viable product, and two large OEMs are interested in this product as a core capability, as a safety offering, so that they can detect which way the ambulance is coming from and can inform the driver if the uh, lane next to them is available, to the right is available, to move to the right so that they would see an alert on the screen that the ambulance is coming from behind or from the front and the right lane is available and to move it to the next lane. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's, um, it's just amazing what you know, employees, when you just remove all of the bureaucracy, can do. Good for them. Yes. They're, go- they're going to save some lives and we're all happy about that. Yeah, we're very happy about it. Great. Mamtas, thank you so much thank you. for taking this time. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Ali. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tech. Cars. Machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com.